0: Great lesson this morning. The The lesson this morning, it is primarily directed to us to seek out godly, godly counsel in our life. But I, I want us to, to look at it in a couple different ways. Not just that we should seek out godly counsel, but that we should also seek after wisdom that people could actually come to us for godly counsel. Um, it shouldn't just all be about what we can get, but what we can give also. So as we study through each step of this, keep in mind that it's not just what we can go get from someone, it's what we can also gain for ourselves and give back to others. A little bit of background, we're going to talk today about King Solomon. King Solomon ruled over Israel from approximately 970 to 931 B.C. Solomon's reign was really the, the pinnacle... ...for the power of Israel. It was Israel's golden age of, of literature and military strength and territorial extent. It was the best it had ever been. And the great wisdom of Solomon was renowned through the entire ancient world. According to 1 Kings 4, 32 and 33, Solomon spoke 3,000 proverbs. He wrote 1,005 songs. He is also credited with with scientific studies of, of various animals, fish, and trees. He was a, if you will, of that day, he was a scientist. He cataloged things. He was just so smart, and he had so much wisdom. <clears throat> Most Bible scholars also believe that a large number of the Proverbs in the book of Proverbs were part of Solomon's wise sayings. See, Solomon didn't, most of the time we give him credit for writing the entire book of Proverbs. He most likely wrote a good portion of it, but he didn't write all of it. But his 3,000 Proverbs that he spoke, a lot of those are included in the book of Proverbs. He also most likely wrote the book of Ecclesiastes and the Song of Solomon, which is also referred to as the the Song of Songs, which is also referred to as the Song of Solomon. Proverbs 25 and 1 These are more Proverbs of Solomon copied by the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah. You say, well, why would you read that? Much of Solomon's writings, especially his Proverbs, would have been lost forever had it not been for a king named Hezekiah that came along some 300 years later. During Hezekiah's reign, Solomon's wise sayings were selected, compiled, and organized by a committee of scholars that were appointed by Hezekiah. And the reason he did this is Israel had gotten to this place where they had fallen away from God and he wanted to have these wise sayings compiled to try to help reform the people of Israel. Apparently at this same time that they were compiling the wisdom of Solomon, they also restored King David's Psalms, the Psalms that we have today. Remember that Solomon was David's son. Had not king hezekiah done this then the things that we have in the bible in the book of psalms and proverbs would have been lost forever imagine what it would have been like to have that missing from scripture today if it had not been for the diligence of king hezekiah to serve god we would be missing all of that and i'm sure it was probably tempting for him to say oh God, do I really have to do that? Can't the next king do it? Can't you let the next guy do it? I really don't want... That's a lot of work. There's a lot of that stuff out there and they didn't have computers. All they had was just guys that hand-wrote this stuff. So it was a very difficult task. But he said, this is important. This is important for the reformation of the people of Israel. And so we're going to get it done. The the Bible as we know it today is a... Result of what is called divine preservation. What divine preservation is, that God was in charge of the preservation of Scripture that He knew that we would need. The logic is this, that obviously there was a lot more written in history than what we have today. But we don't have it all today. But the the important thing is, God knew what we would need to live an overcoming life And people through all the the ages would need. And so He provided this divine preservation of the things that we have. That's one thing that makes this Bible so special. Because if you think about all of the things that were written through the thousands of years, it couldn't be contained in here. But the things that are in here are the specific things that God preserved for us to have today. There's a Bible scholar named William Hendrickson, and he took the first kings that we're reading today, and chapters 1 through 11, and he he graphed them into categories. And it started with the rising of Solomon, and then it goes to the shining of Solomon when he was at his absolute pinnacle, and then the declining of Solomon. And if you read through ver- chapters 1 through 11, you'll see this this... Tremendous here Solomon, he's a great man. He asks for wisdom from God. He goes to the very top of his game, and then he starts to decline back to where he was, and worse. He accomplished many great things in his lifetime. Solomon began building the temple in Jerusalem around 966 BC. It took him seven years to build the temple. It took him 13 years to build his palace. First Kings chapter nine. Verses 1 through 3. When Solomon had finished building the temple of the Lord in the royal palace, remember seven years for the temple, 13 years for the palace, and had achieved all he desired to do, the Lord appeared to him a second time as he had appeared to him at Gibeon. The Lord said to him, I have heard the prayer and plea you have made before me. I have consecrated this temple which you have built by putting my name there that forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. According to verse 1, when Solomon finished the temple, in his mind, he had achieved all that he wanted to do. God, I've done it all. I've finished the temple, I've finished my, my big palace, and I'm all done. But then God appeared to Solomon. It wasn't the first time that God had appeared to Solomon. It refers to a time that God had appeared to Solomon at Gibeon, and that's back in 1 Kings chapter 3 and verse 5. And God had spoken to him in a dream. And this is the point in Solomon's life that God came to him and said, I will give you anything that you want. Ask me for anything, and it's yours. And Solomon asked for wisdom. Of all the things he could have asked for, He asked for wisdom, and it pleased God, and so he gave it to him. It's interesting to note, the English word for wisdom is derived from an old Anglo-Saxon word meaning to see. And that's where we we get the the term when we understand something that we say, oh, I, I see. And that's where that term comes from. Although Solomon's wisdom was from God, I believe that it was also formed from, from thinking and reading and conversing with with many people in his, within his circle of influence. And I'm not taking away from the wisdom that God gave him. But it wasn't all, I don't believe it was all just zap, now you have all this wisdom. I believe Solomon worked at this. I believe that he studied, we know he studied. He wrote songs, he wrote wise sayings. He, he studied animals and plants and fish. And birds. So it wasn't just that he said, God, just give me all this wisdom and let me see what I can do with it. He went out and did something to gain that wisdom. You can disagree with me. Wisdom doesn't always come from the smartest person that we know. Because true wisdom is really a moral quality and not necessarily a measure of intelligence. For example, I'm sure that we all know some very intelligent people who do some very unwise things. If you look back through history, some of the the, the great thinking people just really did stupid things. So wisdom and intelligence are not necessarily interchangeable. We also know that there are people of lesser intelligence who have wisdom that is far superior to those that have greater intelligence. If we as Christians want to follow in the footsteps of Solomon and we seek after wisdom, then we need to be students of the Scripture. We need to study the Word of God. We need to be willing to seek out wise counsel. When, we, when we're looking for answers, who do we go to? Do we go to someone that that God has has spoken to, or God has has really placed His Spirit upon, or we just look for someone to tell us what we want to hear? So we need to study the Scripture. We need to be willing to seek godly counsel, and we ourselves need to seek God for understanding and godly wisdom. We also need to seek wise counsel from spiritual leadership that God has placed in our lives. There are people in each of our lives that that are wiser than we. And we need to turn to those people in times when we're searching for answers and believe that God can allow them to help us get those answers. I don't know everything. I don't have all the answers. But I do know that there are people that I can go to that I can rely on to help me find those answers. And we need to be willing to do that. I believe that that that's part of the way that Solomon became as wise as he was, is that he probably knew who to go to when he, there was a situation and seek wise counsel himself. I believe that it, an important part of wisdom is the ability to take the things that we see and hear and discern... What is of God and what is not? All wisdom is not of God. And I believe that there are, is a certain cycle of wisdom that's spelled out in the Bible. One place in particular is Ephesians chapter one and verse 17. And this is Paul writing to the church at Ephesus. "I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Why? so that you may know Him better. And here's the other side of that cycle. As we know Him better, then the more we will seek after His wisdom even more. And then the more wisdom we have, we'll seek after Him. And it's this continuous cycle that we seek after God, we become wiser. And because we're wiser, we seek after God. And that's what Paul was saying here. I want you to receive this wisdom so that you'll know God better. And then once you get to know Him better, then you will even seek after more. And I believe that is something that's very important, and it's personal responsibility for us. So then how do we show wisdom to those around us? Obviously, most of us don't have a golden throne where people come to us seeking out the answers to their problems. At least, I don't. So how is it shown? James 3 and 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. Wisdom, both godly and ungodly, is manifested in the way that we live. We show our wisdom by the way that we live. Paul said, let him show it By his good life. But look what verses fourteen through sixteen say. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom, in quotes, does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, of the devil. Paul says here that the worldly manifestations of so called wisdom is of the devil. So all wisdom is not of God. But look how it describes the wisdom that does come from God in verse 17. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. Keep in mind now, we're talking about when when we get to a place that we can dispense wisdom to others. Or when we're going to someone for wisdom to help in a situation, this is how we'll know that it's true wisdom. Because the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure. It's peace-loving. It's considerate. It's submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. So if we go to someone for, for godly counsel, and it is not any of those things, then it probably falls in the other category. If you go to someone for, for wisdom and godly counsel and they say, well, what I think you ought to do is just go punch him in the mouth. That's probably not godly wisdom. Why? Because it's not peace loving. It's not considerate. So there is a certain personal responsibility that we have as we seek out wisdom to know whether it is of God or whether it's not. By the same token, we're talking about not just receiving godly counsel, but giving godly counsel. So we have to be careful if we are dispensing godly counsel that it follows these guidelines here. You might want to mark that down in your Bible if, um, if you're going to be dispensing wisdom. Back to our Scripture text. So at this point in Solomon's life, he's finished the temple, God appears to him again, and God tells him that he has blessed this temple and that his spirit would always dwell in this temple. So here we see this magnificent temple that took seven years to build. And soon the word spread as to how spectacular it really was. And One of the people that heard about this, this fantastic, spectacular temple was the Queen of Sheba. She was a queen over a group of people. They were known as the Sabians. The place where they lived was probably what we know in modern day as Yemen. Yemen. And if this is the case, it means that she traveled some between 1,000 and 1,500 miles across a desert just to get to Solomon, just to, to hear the wisdom of Solomon to see if all the things that she had heard were true. 1 Kings 10, verses 1 through 7. When the queen of Sheba heard about the fame of Solomon and his relation to the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions arriving at Jerusalem with a very great caravan, with camels carrying spices, large quantities of gold, we'll get to that in a minute, and precious stones, she came to Solomon and talked with him about all that she had on her mind. Solomon answered all her questions. Nothing was too hard for the king to explain to her. When the queen of Sheba saw all the wisdom of Solomon and the palace he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his officials, the attending servants in their robes, his cupbearers, and the burnt offerings he made at the temple of the Lord. She was overwhelmed. She said to the king, The report I heard in my own country about your achievements and your wisdom is true. But I did not believe these things until I came and saw with my own eyes. Indeed, not even half was told to me, In wisdom and wealth you have far exceeded the report I heard. So she traveled all of this distance across this desert to really to put God, Solomon's God to a test. She had heard that God had given him this great wisdom, so she came at him with these what's called hard questions. And the term that's used here for hard questions is the same Hebrew term that's used in the story of Samson when Samson presented a riddle to the people. It's the same kind of stuff. So she was presenting him with basically these trick questions and trying to trip him up and see if he really had this tremendous wisdom that everyone said he had. And the Scripture says he had no trouble at all answering her questions. And she also came bearing gifts. And she didn't just come with a bouquet of flowers and a box of chocolate. She came with a caravan of camels loaded with spices, gold, and precious stones. First Kings 10 and 10 enlarges the picture a little bit. It says she gave the king 120 talents of gold. Well, I don't really deal much in talents in my life, so I looked this up to see kind of what that was. 120 talents is equivalent to 400 or four and a half tons of gold. Four and a half tons. And if you've kept up with the gold market, you know that gold is sold not by the ton, but it's sold by the ounce. And it, yesterday's, at the closing of Friday's business day, I, it was eight hundred, eight hundred eighty dollars and some cents. That amount, as of this past Friday in today's economy, would be somewhere above $95 million. That's quite a gift. I can honestly say I've never received a gift like that. That was just part of it. And then on top of that, gold, large quantities of spices, and precious stones. And look how how it's written here. Never again were so many spices brought in as those the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. Nobody ever had put together that much stuff in one caravan. That's a lot of stuff. Not a bad gift. So with the gift in mind, if you think about what she gave Solomon, it would be safe to assume that she had a little bit of wealth of her own. If she could afford to give him $95 million worth of gold, yeah, she probably had a little extra. And with that in mind, the Scripture says that she was overwhelmed with the wisdom of Solomon and his wealth. Now think about that for a minute. This puts everything into perspective as to how much Solomon had. Here's here's a woman that could give somebody $95 million worth of gold the greatest quantity of spices ever assembled in a caravan, as well as precious stones on top of that. And she was overwhelmed at Solomon's wealth. And it wasn't just the the magnificent buildings and, and all the gold. It also says that it was... It was the food. It was the clothing. It was the way he had arranged things. His officials, the attending servants, the cupbearers. She was just completely overwhelmed. And she said, I heard about your wealth. And I really didn't believe it until I got here. And I got to tell you, what I heard isn't half what I'm seeing. She's probably wishing, I wish I'd have brought more. I feel kind of bad only bringing this. Solomon's life was a classic case of what Matthew 6.33 says to us. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Solomon's desire was to have godly wisdom. He sought after that, and God threw in the wealth as well. Now, please don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that if we go out and we seek after wisdom from God, that we will automatically become bazillionaires. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that's the way it worked out for Solomon. And I am saying that the Scripture does say, seek you first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. What things is that? Things we need in life. He will provide for our needs. He'll provide for some of our wants. Maybe provide for all of our wants. But He knows exactly what we need. And if we are seeking after God and placing Him first, then we don't have to worry about all the other things. Why? Because He's first. He's most important. Among the kings of that time throughout the world, Solomon was the wealthiest and the wisest. And it wasn't just the Queen of Sheba that came seeking out Solomon, but others from all over the world came to hear of his wisdom that he had received from God. And when they came, they too brought gifts to Solomon and he became even wealthier. And a a lot of people take these things and they twist them into the the prosperity movement that is so popular today. I will tell you that there have been, there are, and there will always be people that love God, serve God, that struggle financially. I don't know why, but it is the case. And people are too quick to to jump on this bandwagon of if you do this, this, and this, God will bless you and make you a millionaire. If God blesses us, doesn't automatically mean that we become millionaires. The blessings of God are not counted out by how much money you have in your pocket. Will God bless us with wealth? Yes, He will. Yes, He can. But sometimes it doesn't happen quite that way. If somebody comes to you in any form, whether on TV or in person or whatever, and they tell you that if you give me, or they don't say it like give to me, if you will give to God this much money, then you will get this back. That's not the way it is in the Bible. There is no scripture to back that up, that if you give a man so much money, that you will get X amount of dollars back. It's not biblical. But you can take something like Solomon and you can twist it around to make it fit your your own circumstance to where you would start believing that. That's not the way it worked. Solomon said, Okay, God, you've you've told me I could have anything I want. I'm asking for wisdom. What does wisdom do? It helped him to make good decisions. It probably helped him to make good business decisions. It probably helped him to make good investments. Right? And so he went out and did this with the wisdom that God had given him. He took what God gave him and made it work for him. It wasn't a, an ATM machine type God. And that's what we like to believe so many times, is that we walk up and we put our card in there, we punch in our PIN number, As we walk by the offering plate, and as it go by here, cash just comes back out. And that's not scriptural. And we'll go on. There is nothing wrong with wealth. Please don't get me wrong. The problem with wealth often occurs when we seek after wealth itself. Warren Weirdly clarifies what the Bible does and does not say about wealth. This is what he wrote. It isn't a sin to possess wealth or inherit wealth. Abraham was a very wealthy man who gave all of his wealth to his son Isaac. Earning money honestly is not a sin, but loving money and living to acquire riches is a sin. Solomon wrote, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This too is meaningless. He goes on to say, Someone has said, It's good to have the things that money can buy, provided you don't lose the things money can't buy. If in our struggle to acquire wealth, we lose out with God, it's exactly what the Scripture says that says, What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? We have to have priorities in life. And our priorities should be, as Solomon said, God, of all the things I want, just give me wisdom. And all of these things are added unto you. 1 Kings 10, 23 and 24. King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. The whole world sought audience with Solomon to hear the Wisdom God had put in his heart. What King Midas had in legend with his golden touch, King Solomon had in reality. Not literally, but he had success in everything he went out to accomplish. And I believe the reason he had that success is because he had godly wisdom. The Queen of Sheba brought him four and a half tons of gold. Based on what his annual gold intake was, it was around 25 tons a year. And do the math on that one. 25 tons a year. He had shields of gold. He had a throne that was covered in gold. He had golden goblets. There was so much gold that chapter, chapter 10, verse 27 says that silver became as common as rocks. That's a lot of stuff. The king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones and cedar as plentiful as sycamore fig trees in the foothills. This priceless wood that Solomon had brought in to put in the temple, it became just common. You built your doghouse with it. I bet he had a cool doghouse. And all of this stemmed from Solomon's request for wisdom from God. And and this is the bad part. Of all the Bible characters, Solomon was most renowned for his wisdom. But he eventually did not follow the wise counsel that God gave him. And he fell into idolatry and the pursuit of personal pleasure. Just because a person has wisdom doesn't mean that they will always make wise decisions. When we quit, quit seeking after God, we sometimes take on that other type of wisdom. Remember, all wisdom is not from God. At some time in their life, most everyone needs the advice of a wise counselor. The advice of someone that that searches out the Lord's heart. And as we said before, we have a certain personal responsibility to be sure that we test that advice against the Word of God. If someone gives us advice, then as we talked about before with godly leadership, we need to know if that advice is of God. And wisdom is not something that we should just seek out but it's something we should try to obtain for ourselves. I believe God wants each and every one of us to become wiser. Not just for our own personal gain, because if we seek after the... ...one of us will come in contact with somebody that needs wisdom. Wisdom. We can't always be on the receiving end of wisdom. But it's easier that way. I'll just do whatever, and then when I have a problem, I'll go to somebody and say, what do you think I should do? Sometimes that works. But what about when somebody comes to you and says, what do you think I should do? If we haven't sought after godly wisdom, how can we help them? So what should we look for when looking for wise counsel? And what do we need to possess in order to give wise counsel? And keep in mind, again, as we look at these things, it applies to us giving wise counsel as well as receiving. Number one, a person giving wise counsel must have insight given to him or her by God. It doesn't mean you have to be a pastor. doesn't mean you have to be an elder or the person you go to. It could be a spouse, a parent, a friend, an older member in the church. And they might not have ever attended seminary, but they are familiar with God's Word, and they know how to apply it in practical ways. If we're going to seek out somebody for godly advice, we absolutely want to make sure that they understand the Bible and how to apply it in today's life. Number two, they are sincerely concerned about those who seek his or her advice. And again, the person does not even have to be a loved one or a a really close friend. The person that we go to could be someone we don't know all that well, but who gives us a sense that, that he or she really cares about us. I believe that when we have sought after godly wisdom ourselves, God will send people into our lives and into our path that are looking for directions and questions to things that they have come across in life. Who better to talk to if somebody is looking for real answers is a person that has truly sought after the wisdom of God and somebody that truly cares. It is very difficult to to try to give somebody counsel if it comes across as you really don't care about that person. Number three, they are good listeners. This is probably one of the most important things in any type of counseling is to be a good listener. A person can have all the wisdom in the world, but if they don't listen to the person that has come to them, then the needs never come out. And if the needs never come out, then they can never be addressed. When a person shares their problems with another person, they automatically become vulnerable. But when a wise counselor listens, they feel like they can trust this person. For example, a person comes to you for advice and they come to you for counsel and they're, they're really seeking an answer. And they say, here's what I'm going through. I really want you to help me with this. Last week, and you interrupt and go, hold on a second. Did I tell you what happened to me when I was 14? You've got to hear this. This is great. But I was going to ask you for help. Yeah, but let me tell you this first. No, if we are going to offer counsel to somebody, if we are going to give out godly advice, we need to be able to listen. As it's been said so many times, that's why God gave us two ears and one mouth. We should listen twice as much as we talk. And that's one of the things we have to have is the ability to be a good listener. Number four, they don't give out simplistic answers to complex questions. To me, this is one of the, the all-time worst things that you can do when somebody has come to you. There are some people that regardless of the situation, they always have an immediate comeback or a scripture to quote or a cliche, and that's their wisdom. Before you stone me about what I just said, That isn't always what the person needs. If a parent has just lost a child, stay with me just for a minute, this is important. If a parent has just lost a child, quoting Romans 8 and 28 is not very comforting at the time. What's Romans 8 and 28? For we know that in all things God works for the good of those that love Him. I just lost my child. I don't want to hear that. If anything, that's just going to make them angry. At who? At God. What would work better in that situation? Maybe a promise that that you'll always be there if they ever need you. I know you're going through some tough times right now. And I just want you to know, if you need me for anything, I'll be there. Now, I'm not taking anything away from the Bible. Please don't. Please don't get me wrong here. I'm not taking away from the Scripture. But there are times when it's just not the best thing. If somebody is grieving greatly and and your answer to to their problems is, well, all things happen for the good of them that love the Lord, it sounds like you really don't care. As true as the Scripture is, it's the timing that's not good. A hurricane has come through and just wiped out some, the, every possession that a person had. They've lost everything. All they have is just a slab of their house. All the pictures, everything, the, their grandmother's clock and everything that they had in the house is gone. And if our answer to that and our solution and, and wisdom that we offer is, well, just look at Job. He lost everything and look how it worked out for him. As true as that is, it's probably not the right place. And you say, well, I I just don't know if I believe that or not. Solomon, we're talking about today Solomon and his wisdom. Look what he wrote in Ecclesiastes 3 and 1. There is a time for everything, a season for every activity under heaven. Now, I know this is taking it a little bit out of context, but what I'm saying is there is a time to quote Scripture... And there is a time to be just a friend. Well, if that scripture wasn't enough, Ecclesiastes 8 and 6. There is a proper time and procedure for every matter. Solomon's writings. And I think that's where wisdom comes to play in our part is when we go to a person, what do we say to them? Do we quote Scripture to them? Do we say a a catchy phrase or a cliche? Or do we show wisdom just by saying, I want you to know that, that I'm there. Let's pray. I know you're hurting right now. Let's just pray. Now maybe you disagree with me on this this morning, but... I've been in different situations like this, and I've seen it handled in all of those ways. And I will tell you that wisdom does not always lead to saying, well, it's all going to be okay. Again, it's not the scripture, it's the timing. If the advice isn't workable for that situation, it isn't wise. A wrench is a great tool. If you have a situation where you need to take something loose, a wrench is the tool you want to use. But if you need a screwdriver... A wrench isn't very good. And advice in some cases might be good, but in other situations, it's like trying to use a wrench for a screwdriver. You say, well, I'm not ever going to give wise counsel. Well, that's a safe way of doing it. But I will tell you this, if you're really living for God and you really have this close walk with God and you're seeking after God to to give you wisdom and to to draw you closer to Him and help, help you be more like Him, people will come into your path that need advice. And what are you going to tell them? People traveled countless miles to hear the wisdom of Solomon. When we... We ourselves seek wise counsel. And when we seek to obtain godly wisdom ourselves, we will see that we have the ability to influence both believers and non-believers toward a godly perspective on life and the issues of the day. And I'm not saying that, that we, we ask for wisdom so that people go, Oh, look at him. He is so wise. Isn't he smart? No. No. No, that that when we give somebody advice, they don't see us. They see the God that we serve. The queen of Sheba came to Solomon really to, to test what? To test his God. She had heard of the godly wisdom he had, so she asked him the hard questions to see if his God was really all that. And when we're able to offer godly perspectives on life and the issues of the day, we'll be able to comfort those that need comfort, encourage those that are discouraged. I believe that we'll be able to be a light in a dark world and show the love of God to so many that just feel unloved. And most importantly, it will give us the ability... to show not our own personal wisdom, but rather the wisdom of the loving God that we serve. God bless you.